Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here again. Um, I pray as we hit another chapter in John, John chapter 20, um, I just pray that you can be with us. Um, this is almost like the crescendo of the story, so please um, help us to understand um, and, you know, to, to um, take it in as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so John chapter 20. Um, so before we start reading, what, what has kind of happened? What, what did we go through last week? Quite an easy answer. Uh, Jesus's crucifixion. Jesus's crucifixion, right? So, um, Jesus's crucifixion and how... You know, obviously we went through um, him dying on the cross, what he said, you know, it is finished, um, and then his burial. And as we enter chapter 20, obviously we all know this story already, right? We all know that Jesus um, raises from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but how it is written is almost like you don't know that yet, right? So we enter um, verse one of chapter 20, and just imagine that you know what the characters in the story know, right? Um, and as we go through, we're gonna read from verse one to verse 10. And really John only, um, only announces that Jesus has actually risen at the end of this little passage. So really from the beginning, if you were reading this for the first time, you wouldn't know what was going on, right? You would think that Jesus is still dead, come verse one. Um, and so let's read it in that vein and there's, there's a, we'll read it and then we'll go back through it, but there's a, some, a couple of things that we, we can point out. But yeah, from verse, um, from verse one, chapter 20. Anybody want to read? John 20 verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Hey, you can do two verses. She runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Verse three, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came unto the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then come of Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre and see if the linen clothes lie. 
and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciples which came first to sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Last two verses, 9 and 10, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. And so you can see, I mean, it has that little bit of the end where it says that he must rise from the dead. But in the first 10 verses, we don't actually know what's happened to Jesus. We don't know where he is. All we know is that he's not in the tomb that they, they originally laid him, right? And so um, let's, let's go through um, from verse one again. But what we'll see is actually um, three different people coming to see the same thing with three different perspectives. Um, and it's interesting that these three people um, give us the three options of what it's like when we see something amazing, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll go into it in a bit more detail. So starting from verse one, um, it says, on the first day of the week, May Madeline early, um, when it was yet dark until the sepulchre, she um, seeth the stone away from the sepulchre, right? So um, what is the sepulchre? What was Jesus buried in? Come on, guys, you're going to have to talk to me here. There's not a lot of you. It was a tomb. A tomb, right? A tomb, right? So Mary, early in the morning, right, when it is still dark, is going to the tomb. Why do you think Mary's up at this time? Maybe she couldn't sleep. Probably couldn't sleep. Probably couldn't sleep, right? Um, probably was having, obviously, you know, Jesus has just died. Mary loved Jesus. Um, and so she probably couldn't sleep. She was probably a bit distressed. She was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the tomb. I know what she was expecting at the tomb because obviously um, the stone should have been in front of the tomb. And it's one of them ones where, you know, you can just push the stone away. This thing probably weighed two, three tons. Right. So she's going towards the tomb and she sees that the tombstone is rolled away. Right. So what does she do? She runs to Simon Peter. Cool. So she goes to Simon Peter and who else? And John. And John, right? Known as um, the disciple which Jesus loved, right? The other disciple. Um, and what does she tell them? She basically thinks that um, someone has stolen Jesus' body. Cool. Right. So Mary um, sees Jesus not there, um, sees the tomb rolled, the tombstone rolled away, and she immediately thinks, ah, someone's stolen the body, and she goes and run, runs and tells Peter and John. Right. So that's the first um, reaction of, of um, the people that we see, right? Mary's reaction. Um, so let's continue. First three, what happens? So they literally just go to the um, tombs to look for themselves. Cool. All right. So Peter and John um, run to the tomb. Now it's funny in verse four. John, John, the one who's writing the book, says he outrun Peter. 
right? So um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know why he needed to say that, but it was like, yep, yeah, I beat I beat Peter to the team. I ran faster than Peter. Um, and so he says, yeah, he outran Peter and came first to the team, right? Um, and stooping down, looking inside, he saw the linen clothes. So the linen clothes are what? Isn't that? Uh, go ahead, Mickey. Oh, sorry. Isn't that what um, Christ is wrapped in? Yeah, well, it was wrapped in, right? So when when um, people died back in those days, they used to dip their stuff. If we um, saw before in chapter nineteen, um, Joseph of Arimathea and um, and Nicodemus came and got all like all this expensive stuff and um, and anointed the body and wrapped it, right? So you'd wrap each of you like your limbs and then you'd wrap your whole body in this linen um, and that, and then put like a, a cloth over your face, right? Um, and so Jesus would have been wrapped in this thing and laid in the tomb. So John getting there first because he won, he, won, he won the race, um, looked inside the tomb and saw the stuff there, right? Then what happened? Verse six. So basically, obviously, because John had run Peter, Peter's now caught up and he sees the same thing. Cool. All right, so Peter's caught up, as Tyler said. Um, but Peter actually goes inside. So John didn't go inside, yeah? John just kind of looked at the at the entrance and saw the thing there. Peter was like, look, I'm not standing here. I'm going in. So Peter goes straight in, probably looking for some a bit of redemption from what he just did um, before. Runs inside um, and sees... Um, the linen clothes lie. When it says seeth there, right, it says um, Simon Peter following him went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie, right? The, the word seeth there is um, is actually the word for, for theorise, right? So he's trying to rationalise why um, if Mary is correct, so if someone has stolen the body, why is his linen clothes still there? Surely they would have just taken the whole thing one time. Um, and if they did take his linen clothes off, why are they like they are, right? Um, because, you know, they would have been ripped to pieces, they would have cut it off, they would have done something, it would have been like in a neat pile. Um, almost like actually the thing had, it's almost like the body came out of the linen clothes without anyone touching it. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was like it was already, it was still wrapped. So. Peter's a bit perplexed, right? And so that is the second um, reaction, right? So we have Mary's reaction of someone must have stolen the body. Peter's reaction of I'm, I'm just not getting what I'm seeing. I'm not understanding it, right? And then um, verse seven, someone could read that. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Cool. Um, there's actually something um, a little bit more deep about this. Um, 
but I'll cover it after we do, we've done the three perspectives. Um, so, and verse eight. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Cool. So that's John's reaction, right? John um, went in after um, Peter, and it says he saw and believed, right? And so those are the three. Um, those are the three reactions, right? So in this, right, John has written about three responses that we have to anything that we that we need to have faith in, or is is a miraculous thing, right? So the the first option or the first response could be, um, which was Mary's response, is to figure out some other way that it could have happened, right? Mary saw that the tomb was open, which no human man could open. You know, we've had to have quite a, a large group of people to try and move that tomb. And she immediately thought, right, um, someone must have taken the body. Someone must have stolen the body. Peter's response was, right, I don't really get, someone can't have stolen the body because the linen clothes are here and they're like what they are and the napkin itself on his face is folded. So how could someone stole the body plus the tombstone like has been rolled away and that's like for someone to steal Jesus's body and move that tombstone is pretty serious. So I don't understand what's happened. I don't get it. And then the third response, obviously John's response is to see what he saw and believe and believe that Jesus has risen, right? So the, really, the, the, the thing is for us is what response do we have when we see things, when we see promises in the Bible, when we see, even when we look at this particular example, um, what is our response? What is our response when we see things of God? Do we rationalise it and think, oh, so something must have happened that's different? Um, do we just whisk it away saying, I just, I just don't get it? Or do we believe? And those are the, those are the three options, right? Um, it's actually quite interesting. If someone could read uh, Matthew 16, verse 21, and someone else go to John chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, um, just to read those two passages. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, uh, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Oh, so he's already told them this before. And he's, this is not the first time he's, he's, you know, he's, 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 uh, what's the word, spoke about the sacrifice that's coming. And it's interesting because I feel like it took him saying this so many times for his disciples to even think that he meant it literally. Uh, and I think we've seen that in the previous chapters of John. The first, Jesus talking about, oh, I'm going to die. You know, the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Please, you know, to the point, it's almost like they're telling Jesus, shut up. <laughs> you know, but now it's so interesting to see um, the different people's reactions. You know, what you were saying just a couple minutes ago. And the fact that it's sort of, did this reminder that belief is a choice. You know, it's 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 not just a case of you go there and they knew that Jesus had risen. Um, 
it was only John that, through thinking about what Jesus said and thinking of who Jesus was, chose to believe immediately. Agreed, right? Um, thanks, Nathan. Basically, 100% right. Jesus told them clearly, right? Um, and for the record, John 2, 19 and 21 is, is the same thing. In fact, um, it is it is John, it is, sorry, Jesus saying to the um, Pharisees and scribes, um, the temple is going to be thrown down, um, destroyed in, and, and built back in three days. Um, and they thought, oh, how's the temple going to work? And he was actually talking about his body, right? And so several times throughout, throughout, the, um, throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, look, I'm going to die three days. He actually says three days, I'm going to rise again, right? And even in the previous chapters that we've just gone through the last couple of weeks, when they've been going through the Last Supper, um, et cetera, et cetera, as Nathan was saying, Jesus was telling them, I'm going now, I'm going to die. I'm going, I'm going to die, I'm gonna I'm gonna come again, etc. And um and yet yeah, they come to this point, all of them have heard that heard Jesus talk about this, and yet so all of them have the opportunity to believe. Right? Mary could have listened to what Jesus had said before and believed that actually he had risen. Same with Peter. But it's only John who um, is able to take Jesus at his word, at least at this point, he probably didn't understand or probably didn't get it before, but now he's seen this, he's like, you know what, I believe, right? Cool. So, when we see promises in the Bible, um, my mind went to um, the one in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 or something like that, where it says um, he will give us a way of uh, escape of every sin, um, and there's this, there's, oh, every temptation. And there's several promises in the Bible, you know, he's the orphan finisher of our faith, all of this stuff, you know, do we believe that? Or do we kind of think, oh, that's not for me, that's for someone else. Um, I'm not gonna claim that promise. Do we actually believe it? Do we actually act on it? Same with the resurrection. Do we believe on it? Do we act on it? Um, and now we're actually gonna go into the, the more of the meaning of the resurrection, right? So if someone could read, um, Verse nine. Oh, this is John twenty. Uh, yeah, John twenty. Uh, verse nine. Sorry. For as yet they know not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Cool. What's that saying? In fact, what's the most important word in that um, in that verse? Rise again. Um, not rise. I mean, rise again is the is the uh, focus of the of the text. Is the it's the subject of the text, but in terms of um, what is a, what is really an important word in there? Scripture, not scripture. Must, 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 must. Right? It says, "For as yet they need not the scripture, that he must 
rise again from the dead. So let's deep that a little. Um, within our understanding of the death and resurrection of Christ, Jesus was the lamb, right? He died for our sins. Um, and because he died, um, he takes our place, right? So we, we've sinned. If we accept his death, he took that death for us. So why do you think we need to, that, that, um, that he had to rise again? It says he, he, the scripture says that he must rise again from the dead. Why couldn't his just death be enough? Well, isn't it like Jesus just died for our sins and that's it, he's done. And, um, and we just take on, you know, Jesus' death, he took, he took on our sins and then it's done. I, I just want to say that I'm thinking it's to do with the fact that, you know, yes, our sins, you know, I was, uh, he took our sins, he took the wrath of God for us. But in and of itself, that has to be for a reason. And um, this reason is because, you know, for a, sin, for a sinless being, sin has no power over you. The wages of sin is death. And yes, Jesus took those sins, but he himself was sinless. And so the him him raising up from the him raising up from the dead was basically vindication, um, and it was also that thing of saying even though we've hmm, I'm going to be careful when I say this, but like even though we've been in sin, he had power. He you know he had power to raise up from the grave because he was sinless. And that's that's what we take. That's what we take after. If he didn't do it, then guess what? We couldn't do it. Cool, 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 cool. All right, yeah, yeah. We 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 get there. We get there for sure. Um, what death did Jesus die? The cross. The cross, right? But for example, did did Jesus die in the same way Lazarus died? No. No, right? What kind of Jesus, what death did Jesus die? He was killed. But, okay, let me, okay. So, um, he died a very... Say again? I was going to say he died a very painful and public death. It was a painful and public death for sure. But there's a type of death that he died. Was, was it a willing sacrifice? Is it, he died as a willing sacrifice as well. But put it this way, right? Um, the punishment for our sins, right, is death. But when we say the punishment or the, the punishment of sin is death or the, the, the wages of sin is death, what death is that talking about? Because if, if we're talking about just a normal death that we experience, that Lazarus experienced, then Lazarus almost, he, he's done his death and he got risen again. So, you know, he died for his sins already. What death, is, what death did Jesus actually die for? The second death? The second death, right? What's the second death? Theology students. Well, come on, what's the, what's the second death? The eternal one. The eternal one, right? The, the, the second death is, right, um, let the righteous be righteous, let the, the wicked be wicked, and this is the punishment, hellfire and done. Right, that's the second death. 
that's the this is the wages of your sin kind of death this is you're you're finished right jesus took that death for us right because we all still die so he didn't take away the normal life you know the spirit of um, leaving the body and go back to god etc um he didn't take that death away from us because we still um, experience that death until he comes again um but what he's taken away from us if we accept it is the second death experience right that's what he experienced for us that's what he took for us right and so um part of the reason why and nathan was touching on this so we're actually going to go to a text if we can go to um first corinthians 15 um verse 13 to 17 First Corinthians 15, 13 to 17. In fact, let's start from 12. First Corinthians uh, 15 from 12, and we can read up to 17. Okay. 12. Um, but it is preached that Christ has raised has been raised from the dead. But how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, and for we have testified about God that he is that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him in fact. If he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not, are not raised. Yes, Aaron? Um, up to 17. Okay. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Cool. So what is Paul saying? I think he's saying that the point of it isn't that Jesus died, but that Jesus was raised. And if he wasn't raised, obviously, then everything that we've done, everything that we do is now meaningless. Cool. Right? I was just saying, it's, I don't, let's not say that his, um, the point was not his death, because I think the point was his death and resurrection. But it needed to be both. And um, why it needed to be both is because we talked about this double-sided coin um, last week. And it's the fact that, yes, he died for our sins, but he also gave us his righteousness, right? And us being dying to self and being raised in Christ can only be possible if Christ is a living saviour, right? 
the only re- the only way how the sanctuary thing works and Jesus now in the sanctuary pleading for our sins if we remember um how the sanctuary service works in the old testament Jesus is almost doing a similar thing um in the sanctuary in heaven right and so if he wasn't alive who was to, who was to do that who was to plead for God for our sins? Who was, whose life would we then take if his life was dead? Right? Jesus says, I am the living water. How could he be the living water if he was dead? And so there's so many promises, so many things of our salvation, and, and particularly the righteousness that we take from Christ and the sanctification that moves on, um, continue after that, that would be impossible if he didn't rise again. How could he say I'm the author and the finisher of your faith if he was dead? Understand? And so for this whole story of redemption, this whole um, this whole salvation process, if it was if it's gonna work, verse nine says he must raise again from the dead for that very reason. Yeah. We we all on that, we we all get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Can <laughs> I'm looking at um verse 17 of First Corinthians uh, chapter 15. So what Hasley just read. And I'm seeing I'm seeing in that verse, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in va- your va- your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. And the only reason why that was standing out to me is obviously what we've been talking about in the fact that Jesus, part of what he's doing, part of what the plan is, the plan, you know, the plan of salvation. Is it almost fair to say the plan of salvation is still in, it's not still in the works in terms of doing it, but obviously finishing it is, is still happening because Jesus is in heaven right now interceding for us. And this verse is just reminding us, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. He's up there in heaven giving us the opportunities, pleading for God for us, pleading to God for us so that we don't have to be in our sins, so that we can have new life, so that we can have um, freedom from the things that obviously uh, beset us. And that's that's what I'm seeing in that verse there. 100% right. This is why the resurrection is so important. Um, and it's so important the resurrection is believed in not just the cross experience, um, because you couldn't accept that Jesus was interceding. You couldn't accept that he we are going to take on his new life if you could if you didn't believe that he was resurrected. And that is exactly the point that um, that Paul is making. Even so, as far to say, how could you believe that Jesus is even coming again, taking us to heaven, changing us into from the resurrection of the dead, you know, new bodies, etc., taking us to heaven with him. How could you believe that if Jesus was still in the grave? And so there's really no, there's no end game if you don't believe in the in the resurrection. Like, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, great, but there's no, there's nowhere to go from here if he doesn't rise. And so um believing in the resurrection and accepting the resurrection um is is so important. Okay, so then the first time, then the disciples go away um, again onto their own home. So at this point, right? Um, at this point, Mary um, 
still thinks uh, Jesus has been taken away by someone. Um, Peter is still confused, doesn't know what's going on. Um, and John is the only person at this point who believes that Jesus has risen, some way, shape or form has risen, um, but obviously doesn't know where he is. So John and Peter um, leave and we're just left with Mary, right? So we're going to um, start from verse 11. Could do the next two verses. John 20, verse 11. Yeah. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two wire, two angels in white seated where Jesus had Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other. One at the foot. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Cool, let's stop there. Um... Okay, what's 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 uh, amazing, but also a bit um, uh, lets us know something about where Mary's at at this point. What's what's just happened? She went to check up on Jesus, and he wasn't there. Cool. So she's gone to check on Jesus. She thinks someone's stolen his body. Gone to run to the disciples. Um, the disciples have come, seen the, seen the problem. They've gone away again. Mary is still there. She then goes into the tomb. What does she see? She sees two angels. Angels. And she it's sees like two angels day. there. It's a no clock. day. She's not even clocking. She's not there like, oh, She's there like, mm. They're just chilling there, sitting, one at the head, one at the foot, um, of where Jesus should have been lying. And... And they ask her a question, and Mary's answering them. They've taken Jesus. There's no like, whoa, this is an angel. There's no, oh, this must mean he's risen. And, and nothing like that goes for her head. It's all, they've taken his body. Tell us where it is. That's, that's, where, that's where Mary's at at this point. So much so, she says, um, she says, tell me, tell me where it is. Um, we are reading? Verse 13. Um, she says, and they said to her, why are you weeping? And she said unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they laid him. Um, and she's almost like, tell, tell me where he is so I can go get the body. You won, you won Mary, are going to go and take a whole big man's body from whoever is sold in him. That's what you're telling me. Right? So Mary, Mary at this point is not really thinking about anything, right? Mary's, Mary's gone off. Um, she's, she's grieving. She's, um, yeah, she hasn't even caught that the angels are right there. Yeah. Then what happens? Verse 14. 
she then oh she turns around Jesus is there again she's so in her grief she doesn't even realise that it's Jesus cool right Jesus is there chilling behind her right um, then what does Jesus ask her he asked her why are you crying what are you looking for why are you crying right Jesus said unto her woman why weepest thou whom seekest thou now does Jesus know who what she's doing of course of course right Jesus knows why she's crying Jesus knows who she's looking for. So why is he asking the question? To get to see for herself. Right? That's why God is always asking questions in the Bible, right? For us to see. Okay? So um, she's supposing him to be a gardener, right? Can you imagine? Probably, I don't know if he had a gardener's hat on or, I don't know, whatever he, uh, he looked like, right? Um, funny enough, though, what does this tell us about how Jesus looks at this point? Different. It must have looked different, right? Jesus resurrected looked different from Jesus um, crucified. Yeah, there was a change. There was a difference. What does that tell us about us? That the same thing would happen. So again, um, mm -hmm. so when dead rise again and second coming and when we go to heaven, there'll be a change. Sort of how we look. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, Nathan, were you going to say something? Um, I was just going to say. Obviously, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost want to say that it's like a, a parallel of the fact that when we die to sin and we actually like, I guess we're born again. Um, in that sense, you know, like Jesus was, I guess, delivered out of the grave. We're not the same person. And it always, I guess, should be obvious that we're not the same, you know, or basically that we, we should be different. Uh, yeah, let me not complicate this. But I'm just no, saying. No, no. We should right be on the right lines, right? Go ahead. Sorry, you're done. Okay. Um, so, yeah, both of you are right, right? Tyler, firstly, yes. Um, Jesus' resurrection almost shows us how uh, we will be different in the in the final day when we are resurrected, right? So there is a hope that, and all of the things that we see Jesus doing now, um, and we'll we'll cover this in a minute. It's almost like, whoa, will we be able to do that when we get new bodies and we're resurrected and we're um, out of sin, right? So yes, there's that, um, and also what Nathan was talking about in terms of. If we are claiming Jesus's new life, this new resurrected life that Jesus has um, as our righteousness, then are we seeing changes? Are we seeing differences? Are we still like the old man or are we like a new man? Are we born again? I mean, are you seeing that difference when we're born again? Or is it like, are, are other people seeing differences or are you just the same person? Yeah, something for, for personal um, meditation. But yeah, so we see um, Jesus says, um, who does she seek and who, who are you seeking? She supposes to him to be a gardener and saith unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou layest him, that I will take him away. Again, say, look, tell me where you've taken him so I can bring him. You marry one and not carry in Jesus' body. And that for a fact, but she's not thinking rationally at this point. She's just like, look, take me to Jesus. All right. Look in Jesus in his face. 
someone with a 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. What do you think Mary just experienced? In fact, before we, before we even get there, how do you think Jesus said Mary? I don't know how to explain it, but it was just different. It was like unveiling something that even makes sense it wasn't I don't think it was just like mere words it was more sort of power behind it mm. I hear that I hear that anyone else he said it in a way you know it was by way of recognition he knew who she was um, familiar, yeah, yeah, familiar. That's 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 the word we're looking for, and it's not just you know Mary, as in like that you know your teachers reading the register, Mary, but this is Mary being said by the person that is essentially closest to you. Uh, yeah. Also, it reminds me of like all those videos that you see where um people have been deployed in the army and they come home and they surprise their family and they sneak up behind them and that kind of thing. And mm. there's so much anticipation in the way that they talk or they, even in their silence sometimes, you know, that's the kind of vibe that I'm getting from this. For sure, for sure. It's almost like Jesus has said Mary to her um, so many times in like this way that it's like when she, when she he said it now, it immediately just went ping. It was like, wait a minute. Only Jesus calls me Mary like that. Only Jesus talks to me like that. No one else has ever, like, I used to be, I mean, many of us feel like um, Mary Magdalene is the same woman who was caught in adultery. Um, even if that wasn't the case, she is still the, she has seven demons inside of her when Jesus met her, yeah? Seven demons. So Mary's past is clearly checkered right so when she when mary meets jesus and jesus is literally her savior literally brought her out from from where she was to where she is now no one has spoken to her with this kind of love and affection so when he hears when she hears mary from jesus it's like that could only be jesus that could only be my savior And so for me, I was thinking, do we recognize Jesus' voice in the same in the same vein? When we read, when we have this still small voice in our head, um, do we do we have the same reaction? Do we un, do we do we know God's voice? Does that makes sense. Have we had an experience with him? Have we been building a relationship with him? So it would only take a Mary, for us to realize, oh, this is God. I could quickly just add to that. It's quite um, interesting how that situation with Mary is a situation that we all go through where 
you can be um, you can be feeling sorrowful or you know just sad in general in a particular situation that you're in in life or some some particular event that's going on at the time, and um, that whole situation that happens with Jesus and Mary shows how God behaves, how Christ behaves with us, even when we're going through that same situation where we're sorrowful and so forth. But He sits waiting for us and He's calling out to us, like, "Don't be sad, don't be sorry. Just, just look at me, look for me." But yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Great point. Um. Great. So she says. Um. So she says rapidly, which means master, right? Um. So Mary's cops that that Jesus is alive. Um. And it's amazing that Jesus chose Mary to be the first one to reveal himself resurrected to. No one else knows that Jesus is resurrected. John believes it, but hasn't seen him. Uh, and so Mary is the first person to see Jesus. Um, and you can imagine her first response is to go and grab him up in it, go hug him. So we get um, to verse 17. Someone wants to read. Seventeen. Jesus said, "Do not hold on to me. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God and your God." Cool. So you can imagine Mary's run up to him, um, and you know, cling on to him like I'm, I'm not letting you go anywhere ever again. We'll go through this again. And he's like, look, I need to go. Um, but go tell the disciples. Right? And so Mary gets almost the first um, missionary instruction um, after Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. Um, what do you think Jesus meant by saying um, he's not yet ascended to his father, but, um, you know, he's going to ascend to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What is, it, what is Jesus talking about? Anyone? Where's Jesus going? Heaven. Say that again. To heaven, did you say? Heaven. Family reunion. To heaven. Family reunion. To heaven. Family reunion, right? Okay, cool. Let me, let, me, let me just read this bit from Desire of Ages. It says, Jesus refused to receive the homage of his people until he had the assurance that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. He ascended to the heavenly courts and from God heard himself, from God himself heard the assurance that his atonement for the sins of men had been ample, that through his blood all might gain eternal life, that the Father, that um, the covenant made with Christ, that he would receive repentant and obedient men 
and would love them even as he loves his son. Christ was to complete his work and fulfill his pledge to make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than a um, than golden wedge of Ophir. All power in heaven and earth was given to the Prince of Life, and he returned to his followers in a world of sin, that he might impart to them of his power and glory. So Jesus was like, look, go tell the disciples, I need to go um, talk to the Father because I need to make sure what I just did works. Yeah? I need to make sure that what just happened was good for you guys. And after that, I can come back and be like, look, this is what I want you guys to do. Once I know the sacrifices work, that everything is good, that God is satisfied, his judgment is, is satisfied, then we can get to work. Yeah? Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I just had one question to ask though. Yeah. Why would it have we have we already answered this question of why Jesus didn't want to be touched? We haven't, um, we haven't but I don't think it's that he didn't want to be touched. Tyler, were you gonna respond? No, sorry. Right, okay. Um I, I don't think it's that he didn't want to be touched. I think he was he was more saying let go. Okay. If that makes okay. sense. I think Mary had already say no more. Go on, right up to it. No, I, I was just thinking and it just popped into my mind. I don't know where from, from, from any, well, I don't know where it was from, but this thought of, you know, did Jesus have physical contact with people after he rose from the dead? Uh, but yeah. Yeah, because, I, yeah go ahead, Mitzah. No one wasn't allowed to touch, like, no one was allowed to touch Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. I mean, it's possible. It's Hassler's um, translation. It says, "Don't hold on to me." Yeah, because I was and, when he read it. To be just when he read it, I've read it. Obviously, ours says, yeah, "Touch me not." So it's like, which one is it? Because the King James definitely says, "Touch me not, for I have not ascended to my Father." Um, but I mean, either way, either way, Nathan, go ahead. All right, I've taken Nathan's phone, but I just want to make this point. Um, it gives an interesting, no, not just an interesting, it gives a brown, sorry, a groundbreaking image of God, yeah, of Jesus himself. If it's not so much, don't touch me, as much as it's, um, you know, let me go because I need to check if this is for real, yeah? Like the, the fact that this is not, this is a sacred, you know, Christ that we're talking about, but he's not so sacred that he's removed from us and does not want to be, you know, in relationship, in contact, in all those things. Um, one of the things that got me is that when he talks to Mary, he says, go and tell my brethren. And I don't know how important that is, but, you know, I've heard these guys spoken of as his disciples, his, um, you know, his disciples, his apostles, all of these things, yeah? But it's not that much of the time that I've heard them called his brethren. So is it interesting that, you know, the first thing he's rising up and he's saying, you know, We've done this now. The mission is complete. I can call you guys brothers now. In fact, this is the first time we see in um, the Gospels, Jesus call the disciples his brethren. So, yes, 100%. Right. So I don't know if Mary actually did touch him and Jesus said, look, don't hold on to me, or whether Mary was about to touch him and he said, look, don't touch me yet. Um, but essentially, Jesus had to make sure that 
before he took in, you know, the the um the the praise almost for what he had just gone through and you know to smile and be happy with the disciples and Mary and his mother and all the rest of it. Um, and to set them on the way, he had to go and just, you know, reconnect with God. Because imagine he had just gone through separation with God. He had just gone through the second death experience. He had just gone through um, something they had never experienced before. So now he's now risen. He's just going to God to be like, look, let's we can we're, we're good again. The the sacrifice was accepted. Good to go. And then he could come and um, and talk to the disciples again. Right. Um, so verse 18 just says, Mary Madeline came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Cool. All right, so let's go and let's let's hear the, the disciples' reaction. So um, on to verse 19, if someone could read. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 20. And when he had so said, he shewed unto them his hands and his and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Cool. All right. So the disciples are um, probably in Jerusalem, um, up somewhere, kept like somewhere hidden, doors shut, um, still scared that, you know, someone might find them and know that they're Jesus' disciples and get them and throw them in jail, maybe crucify them. We know Peter had already denied Jesus for this, for similar reasons. Um, and so, you know, they're all held up in there. And Jesus then appears. I don't know if he, like, walked through the wall or whatever it is, but they're shut in this place. So, you know, it doesn't say open the door. Um, it says the doors were shut. So Jesus appeared in the midst of them, right? And he showed them his hands and he showed them his side where he'd been stabbed. And he's like, look, it's actually me, right? And it's almost like, we're going to get to this, right? But it's almost like they all thought, ah, oh, Thomas should have been here to see this. If only Thomas was here, Thomas is the one who needed to see this, right? And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, so yeah, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Yeah, we could just read 23 as well. Okay. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Cool. And so what was Jesus' purpose um, in coming back 
did Jesus come back to let them know that sins were now something that could be blotted out? For want of a better word, um, like he literally came back to let them know that, yeah, um, we're on. We've been given permission. This is working now. Um, <laughs> whoever sins, you, it, that's what he says with the, with the whole idea of, you know, if you say someone's sins go away, then they're gone. If they stay, then they stay. Is that his way of telling them that, yeah, we've done what we needed to do? Um, yes, but there's a bit more to it. As, as Nathan said, um, you know, Jesus came and said, look, what I just did, just fix this sin problem. So, um, so if you accept me, if anyone accepts me, and uh, then, you know, and if they come and they're repentant, then I'll forgive their sins. Um, but if they don't come to me and they're not repentant, then I won't. Um, but what, 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 what over and above is Jesus trying to tell them? I've just done this amazing thing, so what? Predominantly in verse 21. He's commissioning them. He's letting them know that they're the ones that are continuing the work now. Cool, right? You're commissioning them. So it's now like, guys, I just did this amazing thing. Now you can actually just be repentant for your sins and it'll be sorted, right? Um, go tell people. Go tell people that this is available to them. Like, I didn't just do this for, for you know, the 13 of us that are here. Um, well, actually, the 12 of us that are here because Judas had already, you know, committed suicide. Um, but I, just, I didn't do this just for the 12 of us that are here. I just for everyone. So go, literally, how God just sent me down here to do what I, to do what I did um, and to preach how I preached and to die for the sins. So now I'm and, and resurrect again. Now I'm telling you to go out and preach that message, right? So in Matthew, we have the Great Commission, um, you know, go ye therefore, teach all nations, we know that. Um, and so that was the whole purpose of Jesus coming back after his resurrection, was to prepare the disciples to tell everybody. Yeah, and that's what obviously we see in the book of Acts. So, um, on to Thomas. Look at Thomas. So, verse 24. Oh, before we go on to verse 24, sorry, just a little bit that we missed, um, or I missed. Um, verse 22, also with his um, instruction to go to share people was also Jesus. Um, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, coupled with me sending you, you're going to need to take this with you. And so there's no witnessing without the Holy Spirit. I mean, it would be pointless. So um, he's saying, you know, with 
whatever you know this message that I've just told you um you need to go with the Holy Spirit as well which obviously again we see in the book of Acts but um yeah verse 24 but Thomas one of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord but he said unto them except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe what do you think about Thomas? It seems like he's, I've always thought that this guy is just hard-headed. No, no, when I say this, I just mean, guys, let's deep it. There were 12 of them, including Jesus, in this room. Uh, you've got 11, 11 guys telling, okay, wait, no. 10 guys telling you that they've seen Jesus. And these are your guys that you know, you know, you've all been with him. So, you know, it's interesting, this idea that as far as Thomas was concerned, the 10 of them had got it wrong. Or maybe, or maybe, check this, was Thomas just being vigilant? And when I say this, I just mean like, yes, the disciples didn't really know the half of it, but they'd been with Jesus. So they'd seen like, you know, they'd seen some of the, the devil's power. And so, you know, it's like even for Jesus, he had he had the marks, but... Maybe Thomas thought it might be some type of trick. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe he wasn't coming with indignation as much as I don't know, trying to get everyone to do like prayer and fasting or something to make sure that it, it was actually Jesus. But um, yeah, <laughs> it, it seems laughable until we think about it. Yeah, anyone else? What do you think of Thomas? Do we get where he's coming from? Do we think he was just a doubter and he should have Thomas, fixed up himself? Like, what, what do you think? Sorry, I just wanted to ask Reese: is Thomas in the wrong? Like, I, That's I what I'm asking. So much, is Thomas in the wrong? Yes, like, so much of the time, you know, I've heard so many, I remember Pastor Bruce all the time used to preach about, like, doubting Thomas. And, you know, I've got all of these memories of growing up and Thomas is, is portrayed as this shady, non-believing guy. But how many of us, you know, would believe a lot of the miracles that we read about if we didn't see proper evidence? You know what I mean? For sure. What do you think about Thomas, guys? Is he in the wrong? Do we understand it? Or is it just, nah, he's, he's, he's just doubting? Anybody? No? Okay, all right. What's interesting, right, is in verse 26, it says, and after eight days, right, again, the disciples were within um, and Thomas with them. So it's 
Thomas has said, called the skepticism. It's almost like the disciples that day that they saw Jesus run over to um, Thomas. Guess what we saw? Thomas is like, no, nah, I don't believe it. And, and so much so he says, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Like, that's some, that's some strong language. That's like, look, I don't care what you guys tell me. I don't care what you guys are bringing here. Unless I literally feel his side, I'm not, me, me, we're not talking about this. And for eight days, Thomas looked like he was right. For eight days, I don't know if he even converted some of the other disciples. Like, oh, maybe we didn't actually see Jesus. I mean, he hasn't done anything in the last week. Like, we've been waiting for him. Maybe he was going to come back and do something. All he did is come and say peace unto you. I mean, um, and now, like, where's Jesus at? For eight days. And Thomas is like, you see, you guys, you guys didn't see nobody. Where's Jesus then? If you saw him and you saw him and he was here, where is he? Um, and for eight days, I had not asked for him. Uh, Hasler, what were you saying in the in the chat? No, I'm just saying I kind of see where he's coming from. The doubting part, like unless I see it with my own eyes, then mm. I don't believe it. For sure, for sure, right? And to be honest, Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap because I feel like yes, he was the one you doubted. He was the one. Um, who we know doubting Thomas but ultimately all of the other disciples saw something that he didn't see so all the other disciples believed because Jesus was actually there in front of them but Thomas didn't get that opportunity he didn't get to see him in front of him um, that him in front of them so ultimately he is in a bit of a of a different position to the others so to judge Thomas versus the other disciples is a bit harsh from my perspective how I'm looking at it um, and if you've just seen Jesus crucified, um, you know, for, for, for them to be like, oh, yeah, we saw Jesus just now, you'd be like, oh, come on, guys, stop it. Like, I'm grieving. I don't need this. Like, you know, we've all gone through this three and a half years together. I really don't need you telling me nonsense right now. Right. So for eight days, Thomas was there, seemingly in the right. Um, we kind of get where Thomas is coming from, etc. And then what happens? Verse 26. Someone can read. I've read half of it already, but... Twenty-six. Oh, sorry, I lost it. I'm twenty-six. Allah. A week later, his disciples his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, though the doors were locked, Jesus Jesus came and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." Then his oh, then he said to Thomas, "Put your." Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put put it into my into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Mercy. It's almost like Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said. Of course, he did know exactly what Thomas had said. Okay, here you go. 
Here's that. Here's my hands. Go ahead. Put your finger in them. Put your hand on my side. So if you want a no, proof, here's the proof. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was saying, said, um, you wanted proof? Here's the proof. Exactly. You wanted the proof? Here's the proof. Yeah, Nathan? Um, it makes me think as well that it, it's, it's the, the, how do I say, the tone of voice that it kind of describes um, in verse 27, you know, reach into my, um, reach into my hands, you know, reach into my side. Yeah. Stop being faithless and believe. Yeah. That's done now. Believe. It's almost, it doesn't seem so much a rebuke for being faithless in the first place, but it's almost like Jesus is saying enough of that now. Yeah. Time to get over it. Now's the time for believing and not doubting. Yeah. And Jesus's response. Uh, so uh, Thomas's response, um, verse 28, uh, Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, my God. And here comes the rebuke that you didn't get, Nathan, before. Um, so Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. Who's he talking about? Us. Us, right? However, do we actually believe? Or do we or do we accept that it's something that happened? Is there a difference between those two those two statements? Is there a difference between accepting something happened and believing something happened? I guess you could you. Sorry, go on, Hester. I was asking, what was the question? Is there a difference between accepting, all right, I'll accept that, I'll accept something happened, and believing something happened? In my mind, acceptance, which to be fair, I'm not going to lie, I want to kind of swallow my words now because that's a deep question that you've asked. But in my mind, I'm thinking acceptance seems like it can be a lot more passive, if that makes sense. You know, I can passively accept something. I accept that Boris Johnson is our prime minister. Prime minister. That doesn't mean I voted for him. Yeah. Mm. Like there's a lot of things that is easy to accept, whereas believing, I feel like, requires a little bit more investment. Cool, 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 Tyler. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, if you believe, then you accept, but you can accept and not believe at the same time. Okay, deep there. You gotta explain that a bit more. Obviously, um, how do I explain it? I, I can accept something happened, but then I can choose not to believe it or believe in Jesus. That's pretty much what I mean. Because, okay, there might be a guy called Jesus. Some people have said that, yeah, I believe there was a Jesus, but I'm not going to accept sort of the truth that he's preaching and the way of life to sort of live. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. Both of you are along the lines that I was thinking as well. It's almost like if you're having an argument with someone, and, you know, you, you kind of saw where they were coming from. You could accept that argument. But like, okay, all right, I accept what you're saying. There's that kind of, uh, all right, okay, I accept it. Um, and then there is, when you believe something, it's almost like you could argue that yourself. 
So on one hand, you're kind of taking on someone else's idea of what happened or someone else's point of view. All right, yeah, I accept it. Believing is it's your point of view. And so almost like um, Nathan was saying, like um, in one aspect, it's, you know, there is, it's a little less non-committal. There's a good um, example to say, you know, I accept Boris Johnson as my prime minister, but do I believe in him? And I think that's exactly the, the, the question I'm posing. We may say he's, he's talking about us, you know, us that haven't seen and yet believed, but, um, but do we actually believe like we could stand up and be counted? And more so, you know, this, this may be quite a big thing or easy thing to believe in as, as Christians who have been Christians for a while, you know, Jesus dies and rose again. That's kind of our, our mantra as Christians. Yeah, we get it. But do we believe in, you know, as, as I said before, all the little promises that, that God has made? And do we stand up for those promises? You know, there's so many things in the Bible. There's so many things um, that, you know, could influence our lives. Do we actually believe that they're for us? Do we actually believe that we um, that they're for our benefit and actually believe that doing that is going to lead us to heaven because if we did actually believe it surely we'd do it there's a disconnect somewhere and so something to just um, stew on how how deep does this belief that I have in the resurrection in the promises um, actually go or, or do, do I just accept them as some arbitrary truth yeah so yeah just finishing um verse 30 and 31 and many other signs truly did jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Awesome. And here we see John finishing up his book almost. Um, and I'll tell you why I say that in a minute, because obviously there's another chapter. But here we see John finishing up his book, um, giving us the point of why he wrote his book. And we spoke about this all the way, all how many weeks ago, um, 20 or 18 weeks ago, um, about why John, John wrote the book of John, because he wanted to um, give evidence that Jesus was the son of God. And so this is why he, um, he finishes here in, in verse 31, that he did so many miracles, so many signs, so many that I haven't written in this book and even aren't even recorded in the Gospels. And yet um, I've written the ones that I have written just so that you understand that this guy was God. Yeah. And so just to finish off, why I was saying that this is where John really finishes is because um, chapter 21 is, a, is almost like John's um, saying things quite, just haven't quite finished yet in the sense that Peter, what we're going to go through next week, this is a bit of a trailer, 
a bit of a um, an advert for next week. Peter's story in terms of Jesus hasn't quite finished yet. And so the story has kind of finished. Jesus has given his um his his um commission to the disciples. He's told them to go out, he's told them what to preach, he's told them to have the Holy Ghost, he's shown them that he's alive, he's put the uh he's proved to Thomas that he's here, he's saying, believe in me. Um, and John is saying, and this is how we knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and kind of ended there. But he's saying, but things quite haven't finished with Peter. And so next week we're going to go into um, go into that with Peter and exactly why John couldn't quite finish on, on first day one. But yeah, any other um, points before we close? Yes, no, no. Okay. Um hasn't prayed in a while. Jody, are you still there? Could you pray for us to close, please? Can I make a baby a baby point before she prays? Oh, okay, good. Um, yeah, just a very short point from verse 31. And it's just saying, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's the second half of verse 31. Um, and it's just coming to me again just this idea of believing is a choice and we always take you know there's a lot of words that we grow up with where we don't really take them as action words uh when through a spiritual perspective we actually see that they are so for instance faith is an active thing it's not like a feeling it's 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 uh i guess a, it's a dynamic it's a it's a belief that you actually have that I'm going to order my life because I believe in this. And it was really one of those things where we actually have to choose to believe in God and we have to choose to regard him. Um, I'm definitely not speaking as someone that doesn't have my struggles with that. But this, this idea that we can actually, that so often and, and literally all the time, we, we can be in situations where we're choosing not to believe God or we're choosing to not believe him yet. And just this idea that belief is always something that we're we're faced with, and we 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 have the opportunity to treat God like He's real and like He has power in our lives, and give Him, I guess, the the chance to work in our lives, or to just be on the peri the peripherals, <laughs> the peripherals, just watching us and hoping for us, without without actually being able to do anything because we won't let Him. Um. If it's okay, I just want to add one more thing as well. Um, yeah. Pass the phone to me. Um, question, first of all. John, the disciple that Jesus loves, that wrote this book, is that the same John that wrote um, First, Second, and Third John? It is, yeah. All right. So in that case, it makes more sense to make this theme. In um, First John chapter 1, there's a lot of references to... Um, like the personal experience that the disciples had with Jesus, you know, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've handled the word of life, the things mm -hmm. that have been revealed to us in verse five, it says, this is a message which we have heard from him and we, we're telling you. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things that, you know, John is trying to convey a personal message, but he's like, you need to understand. I'm not just speaking for the sake of it. I'm telling you the real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, 
that's another thing that seems to come up in um, verse 31 of what we just read in that, um, you know, John is saying there's, there's so many I could tell you guys, you know, um, I, w- I was asking this question to myself a little bit earlier on in the study. Jesus seems to have gone off and left the disciples for a whole eight days. What's he doing in the eight days? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I wonder maybe if, you know, you know, he could be in heaven. I don't know. Or maybe he's actually got groups of other disciples, groups of other people around the world that he's visiting and he's seeing. We don't know. But it, it makes me wonder, like, you know, John is here saying the things that I have written. They're so that you might believe, number one, that he's the Christ, the son of God, and that as you accept that belief and you, you know, take on that belief, Nathan mentioned that belief is more dynamic than just being passive, um, that you might have life through his name. And I think that goes to show as well how many of us, you know, if we're just reflecting on this last week, it's one thing to accept that we're Christians, to say grace before food, to have something good that happens in our lives and say a little prayer of thanks, or have something bad that happened and say a little prayer of supplication. But how many of us feel like we were really able to live in those more abundant moments? Because that's what John wants for us, that believing in him, we're also going to have life through his name. Yeah. I hear that, Corey. Thanks for sharing. Um, for sure. For sure. Um, any other points? No. Okay, cool. Um, Jodie, could you pray to close, please? One second. Let's pray. Our kind and gracious Father, Lord in heaven, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to once again uh, come together on this platform to open and to study and to discuss your word. I pray, dear Lord, that um, as we go away, that indeed your spirit may continue to speak to our hearts and to our minds. Dear Lord, we thank you for the reminder that um, our faith is um, belief in action. Almighty Lord, so I pray that you may just um, help us not to just accept, but to truly believe your word. Um, so we come and we give our hearts and we give our minds um, unto you. I pray that we may seek to delve deeper into your word, get to know you, and to have an earnest desire to have a deeper walk and understanding of you and with you. And I pray that we may not just keep that to ourselves, but indeed in the same way that you've commissioned your disciples, that we will go and tell others. All these things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jody.